And I do wonder if it's because we've forgotten <laughs> one of the Ten Commandments, for heaven's sake. Um, if we did this, if we forgot the whole murder commandment, we'd be up in arms and going crazy right now. But we really don't believe in the Ten Commandments. We believe in Nine Commandments and one really strong suggestion. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We are so excited that you're joining us for another episode. My name is David Bloom. And I'm Alan Briggs. And um, we've got a special episode like we we always do, but Alan has a conversation with AJ Swoboda. Today we're talking about Sabbath. And if you've tuned into more than just a few episodes, you know this is something we're going to keep coming back to. Um, not because we're amazing at it. Not because we're the best Sabbath keepers out there. Um but because it's hard and it's necessary. It's something in our culture today, he talks about literally in his book as subversive, kind of a war against the busyness in our culture today. So we wanted to start out with just a little bit of vulnerability uh, for you guys. Um, We are busy leaders. Uh, David and I have our hands in multiple pots, doing multiple things. We want to impact people. We only have one life to live, and we want to make sure that it counts. We want to make sure we're being faithful to all of what God has put in front of us, and that's hard. So, um, David, crack open a little honesty for us. Uh, what's the hardest part for you about ceasing striving and to actually practice Sabbath? Well, I think it's so easy to get your identity wrapped up in what you produce. And and generally for us, like we're hoping to produce good things, like glorifying things, things that um, bring beauty back into the world. And so it's really, really easy to use that as an excuse. Um and, and not rest. And when we wrap our identity in what we produce and, and speaking for myself, I mean, I just, I just begin to, to burn out. Cause that's no, no way for me to root myself in, into my identity. So for me, resting is, it is this declaration of, I'm not defined by that. And, and I can rest in, in who I am, um, in God in the, the silent moments and in the moments where I choose to, to give up control and, and not, um, not do anything for a little bit. And, and that's hard because, um, that productivity again is this badge of honor. It's this, it's, it's somewhat of a mask that we wear to let people know who we are, but it's, it's not who we really are. And so for me, it's a whole, um, deep rabbit hole of identity that Sabbath speaks into. So what about you, Alan? What, what makes Sabbath so difficult in your life? Well, certainly starting where you're starting with identity and to say, Really, all week long, we're asking each other the question of, what do you do for a living? What did you do this week? What are you doing tomorrow? What's coming up on your calendar? And uh, we can get sucked into that. Um, I love to process things quickly, to be reading multiple books, doing multiple things. Um, and actually, I really do like side hustling. I really do like having multiple things that kind of feed each other at a time. Um, but the problem with that is I need to rest and be reminded that my identity doesn't come from what I do but literally I already have identity. And so mixing up that workmanship and the works that we're not working for identity, we're working from this place of identity, uh, I think mixed with just the fact that uh, I kind of like to be busy and on the go. My personality type, um, again, is a quick processor and I want to be doing multiple things. Uh, And the reality is that's like waging war on my soul all week long. And so uh, what I like to say about the season is I've never worked harder and never rested harder before. And so Sabbath is one of those things kind of like vacation where you realize, man, I needed this. This is amazing. Why didn't I let myself unwrap this gift? Um, 
And man, I, I just love this conversation. Uh, not only did AJ write about it, but I, I just feel like he's really vulnerable about um, his own sabbatical and that kind of longer time. He's just transitioned out of his church in this season and uh, kind of the pain of that, the beauty of that. Uh, love this honest conversation more than just a summary of the book. Uh, of course, the content's amazing. And, and even just how he's going back to the depths of the Old Testament and he's seeing that we've just forgotten this amazing gift from God. So this is an incredible episode and uh, we all need to hear it, honestly. Yeah, I like that that term that you use, which is gift. That Sabbath is a gift and and it's this this gift that's waiting for us, that God knew us, he knew how we're wired um, and he, he gifted us with Sabbath. And so really the only reason Alan and I talk about it so much is because we've gotten glimpses of this gift and, and kind of the life that it's given back to us in our ministry. In the very best sense, Sabbath will jack you up. It will literally change up your rhythms. It will change up your busyness, your schedule, and the things that you value. We hope that you enjoy this episode half as much as I do and this interview with AJ Swoboda. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We're going to dig a little bit to the depths uh, in this episode. I'm excited to have AJ Swoboda with us, uh, calling in from Oregon. AJ, thanks for joining us. Alan, I'm really glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm hearing a lot of stir these days about Sabbath, at least more than I probably had in the last five years that I've heard this year. And so um, grateful for for your book, and that's been just a lot of the stirring. I think has been people uh, wanting to dig to the depths of this, and so I'm excited to kind of dig in a little bit uh, today. But before we do, just give us a little bit of background on you and your story and your family. Yeah, uh, I live uh, here in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, my my wife, uh, my son uh, uh, Elliot, my wife Quinn, uh, been married for 15 years. We moved here to Portland 15. Oh, t- sorry, 10 years ago, um, to start this uh, church. We started a church called Theophilus. It's a kind of charismatic evangelical uh, church in, in, uh, in the heart of the city. And uh, we, we actually are in the process now of, of kind of going through a transition. We planted the church and got it off the ground. And uh, now it's uh, being led by an awesome team of uh, elders and a great, a great uh, pastor. And we're transitioning actually back to our home, Eugene. And so, um, yeah, I do quite a bit of teaching and, and writing and have a big passion for this, um, this idea of the Sabbath. I'm, I'm really convinced that uh, this is one of the really unique contributions that uh, people in the Christian faith and in our world desperately need, um, this idea of, of resting and resting well. Well, we absolutely agree, and that's one of our huge focuses and, and heart here at Stay Forth. Um, so you wrote Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. Um, and just to kind of dig straight into that, um, you're kind of coming fresh off of a sabbatical. And so one thing we say is that Sabbath can be disorienting. We're kind of oriented for this fast pace of life, and then we slow down. Um, for good or ill, why don't you share a little bit how your sabbatical was? Yeah, well, it was, you know, I, I'd, I'd actually finished the book um, just months before going on sabbatical. So, I mean, th- th- having written this thing uh, almost burned me out in itself. It's, I mean, it's ironic that, that writing on the Sabbath could, could nearly burn you out. But I finished writing this book and then went on a sabbatical this summer. And um, you know, I'd never been on a sabbatical before. It was a 
kind of crazy idea, something I thought only academics did, who really didn't even do sabbaticals. They used the time to write, you know, books, which isn't a sabbatical. <laughs> That's right. Just, just a different yeah. kind of work, right? Trading work for work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we took a sabbatical and uh, both my wife and I had actually been having some pretty strong vocational shifts in our own heart about what we were doing. Our pastor in the church at the time and um, the busyness of life, you know, kind of keeps you from really deep reflection. And um, I would say within 24 hours of us being on our sabbatical, my wife and I looked at each other and um, realized that our season of, of pastoral work at this particular parish was was coming to a close. So in, in a way, I, I would say our sabbatical was extraordinarily disruptive. Um, it was very painful. Uh, it was um, it was not sitting by a pool with a mai tai. Um, it was it was very painful. Um, in a lot of ways, I think I think people are really terrified to, to take sabbaticals. Uh, I've I've always thought of Moses going up on the mountain. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, and he brings down the the Ten Commandments for God's people, and when he comes down, he, he sees all God's people you know, worshiping a golden calf. And I, I think that's mostly probably why pastors and a lot of leaders don't take sabbaticals is we're terrified of what's going to happen when we're gone. Um, for me, my fear, you know, going on sabbatical was not that I was going to come back down the mountain. Everybody's going to be worshiping a golden calf. My, my ultimate fear was I'd come back down the mountain and everybody would still be worshiping God and realize that I wasn't near as important as I thought I was. Um, so at the end of the day, the sabbatical completely disrupted my sense of self. Um, that I'm not the center of the world and that I had time to actually think about um, my vocation in my life. And when you actually have time to do that, man alive, it messes things up. Well, and as, as one who's taken a, a few sabbaticals and been taken by a few sabbaticals, um, <laughs> good for you for taking that time and for getting wrecked a little bit um, yeah. in that it is disorienting, right? It sounds like, oh, amazing. This is like a teacher, you know, taking a summer off of school. Um, and yet there's things that we don't want to hear in that. So thanks for kind of kicking off the interview with that. I appreciate you using that word disruptive even. Um, so what was the story leading up to this idea of writing a book called Subversive Sabbath? What led you to mm. it? Yeah, well, just one comment, by the way, to, to finish up that last, that it's interesting to explain to people uh, why you're taking a sabbatical. The assumption, and if you're taking a sabbatical, is if you have burned out. Uh, or if there's something wrong. Um, so the sabbatical is, is incredibly, it's a, it's a stumbling block. People don't understand it. Uh, and the idea of rest in general, I find is quite hostile in the church in general. I mean, I, that, the reason that I wrote this book was actually birthed out of a story from about five years ago when uh, we'd planted the church five years in, and, and the church was just tired. Everybody, the, the whole parish just felt really tired to me, and I decided to, to preach on the Sabbath uh, from, from the front preached for about, I think three or four weeks. And I preached, uh, on this idea of rest and I, listen, man, I, I preached on things that have made people mad. I mean, I've preached on, you know, sexuality. I've preached on polyamory. I preached on politics. I've, I've preached a whole sermon against smoking weed once and I I've made people mad and I preached for four weeks on the Sabbath. And I don't think we've ever had more people leave the church. The, the elders after, after that wanted to meet with me, the leaders in the church and, it dawned on me as I was in a, an elder meeting. This was the moment I knew I needed to write on this. I was in an elder meeting and it dawned on me that if I broke nine of the 10 commandments, if I stole money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. If I, um, you know, 
if I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I killed, if I murdered somebody, I'd definitely lose my job. And it dawned on me that if I don't take a day of rest, which is one of the Ten Commandments, if I don't take, as the Fourth Commandment says, take a day of rest, uh, I'll probably, as a pastor, I'll probably get a get a raise. And it dawned on me this is like the one thing in the heart of the Old Testament that we celebrate breaking. And our people are dying because of it. I mean, it. I mean, I think. I think teenage suicide rates are skyrocketing because teenagers don't know how to turn their phones off. I think there's a direct connection. So I knew there was a problem. So about, about four five years ago, that's when I recognized four or five years ago, I, I, something needs to be done in this area for me. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And so true that we can push into all kinds of different areas and, and think it's okay and justify. And yet we actually in our culture celebrate this idea of pushing so hard. Talk a little bit about, the connection between lack of Sabbath and burnout. What do you see? Well, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, there's this brilliant uh, secular Jewish writer by the name of Judith Shulevitz. She uh, she wrote a, a just a mind bending book on the Sabbath, and she um, talks about how you know even our country, you know, our nation, um, the Europeans who came to a, this this land did so in hopes of creating a Sabbath society. I mean, they did so to create a society that was based on Sabbath rest. And and she she points out, she says, you know, isn't it ironic that the one nation that was started with the dream of the Sabbath uh, is the nation that is most hostile to it? Um, there there's stuff in our in our bones. There's if we're Americans, uh, there's if we're Western Americans, I mean, we it is in our blood. Uh, everything the Sabbath offends everything about what it means to be an American. Productivity, uh, greed, um, uh, over over accomplishment, achievement. It steps on all of that stuff. I mean, it it is um, the Sabbath is a narcissist's worst nightmare because it just displaces everything about accomplishment. Um, you know, it, I mean, I look at our even even our our culture used to rest quite well. We used to have these things called blue laws, and people were required to rest. I mean, you couldn't go to a store on Sundays because everything would be shut down. Um, at our entire system. This is why Walter Brueggemann calls the Sabbath resistance. It the entire system is built on us breaking this centerpiece of what it means to be a human being. I mean, you go back to the very beginning of creation. Uh, one of the unique things that Yahweh does in the Bible that no other God does in any other religion is the God of the Bible is the only God who knows how to rest. He stops for a day a week. <laughs> Nobody else does that. Uh, human beings, we are built to rest. And if we don't do it, we're going to die. Uh, burnout is is theologically just a form of of getting what we want. I mean, we, we are just, we get, yeah, we, we are getting everything that we want. And unfortunately, I wish it wasn't always this case, but we, we get what we want usually. And if we're unwilling to rest, um, we gain the whole world and lose our soul. <laughs> it turns out somebody wrote about that, or at least t- talked about that. We, uh, we talk about the idea that you're going to get to rest. The question is voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, John exactly. Tyson had him on the podcast and, and he said that rest is coming your way. <laughs> Are you going to yep. choose it? Um, yep. 
So some of our listeners don't even have a and, and even even just to point out like the literally like the future our future heaven in Hebrews is described as heaven. So if if you hate it now, I've got bad news. You're going to be doing it for like ever. That's good. I would say some listeners don't even have a framework for Sabbath. So can you give us a basic definition of Sabbath? Yeah, well, this is this is the um, that's the question that uh, denominations split over um, because how you define Sabbath really does uh, get get you in hot water. But you know, so what some denominations, some groups of people would say that the Sabbath it, it has to be Saturday, it has to be Sunday. Um, I, I think Paul actually frees us from that in in Second Corinthians, where he says, you know, some people bicker and say this day is that day, and this day is that day. The Sabbath is here. This uh, and, but I sense that he's freeing us from that. I, th- I think the the general principle is this: that one in seven uh, out of seven days, we are taking one to intentionally undertake restorative rest. So the kind of rest that restores our body, our soul, and our spirit. One in seven. And if you have a week like I did last week, where you couldn't take your Sabbath, the following week you need two days. So in general, to live well, you, you need one day of restorative rest uh, every every week. Uh, so that's a basic a basic framework. And by the way, uh, France actually tried to undo that in the 1800s. They moved from a seven-day week uh, to a 10-day week. Um, and they moved from a seven-day week where workers got one day off to a 10-day week where workers got one day off. And it turned out it didn't work. Suicide rate skyrocketed. Um, Childbirth plummeted. Nobody had kids. Uh, society got depressed and down. And uh, it turns out the the one day in seven is it, it actually works. And it turns out, God, yeah, God like actually knew what He was doing. It actually works, and we forget that all the time. Of oh, this is a good idea, um, and then we wonder why we're stressed and overwhelmed and literally dysfunctional. Yep. Um, yep. Talk about the difference between Sabbath and a day off. A lot of times people are kind of trading those two terms. What's the clear difference between Sabbath and just a day off? Mm. Well, I'm going to borrow, I'm going to borrow uh, from, from our, our, our late, late friend, Eugene Peterson, who uh, uh, really actually, he wrote a great deal about the difference between the day off and Sabbath. But for most Americans, a day off and increasingly so now a day off is a day that we're at home, but we're thinking about work and we're available to work. So what we got our iPhones in our pockets and we're available. Um, and for a lot of us, that's, we've been practicing that for years. We've, we've been home a day off, but not been actually kind of breaking away from our work. And the end result is that we become in the words of Will Willimon, the quivering mass of availability. Um, we become, you know, available to everybody all the time, except for God. Um, Eugene Peterson says that a day off, which is being at home, thinking about work, being available to work, isn't a Sabbath. He calls it a bastard Sabbath. A Sabbath is a day where we actually are intentional to break away from what we do the other times in the week and separate, uh, intentionally separate from those, from, from those activities um, and not being available to do the, the, the work, which it's very messy for pastors because what do you do if somebody has a heart attack on the Sabbath in your church? And um, I write a great deal about that in my book, Subversive Sabbath, uh, the difference between Sabbath emergencies, which I think we need to be faithful to respond to, 
uh, and Sabbath nuisances, which we need to let go. Uh, but a day off is generally speaking, being at home and thinking about work and having our iPhone available, responding to emails. You know, I was, I had this experience. I went to Disneyland with my son a few years ago for the first time. And one of the things I loved to do when I was a kid was go to Disneyland with my dad because my dad was a doctor and worked really, really hard. And when I, I remember when I was a kid, I'd go to Disneyland with my dad and I loved it because my dad was unreachable. He didn't have his beeper with him. And I went to Disneyland a few years ago with my son, and we were standing in line for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And in right in front of us was this little boy pulling on his dad's shirt to try to get his attention for no less than a minute. And of course, his dad, what is he doing in line? He's looking down at his phone and responding to emails. Uh, the, the, the problem with our phones is it's made every day a, a possible day off where we are uh, at home, uh, but not really there. And the Sabbath kind of undoes that. The Sabbath is very different than a day off. And we got to recognize that. Uh, God, um, I think God is really interested in us having time where we de-idolate, we, we undo our idolatry around work. We, I think it's important that we institute that. That's good. That's a good, that's a good image uh, of all places that, you know, hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands that you spend um, to be at Disney World and then to think about not even being available for, you know, perhaps the reason we went yep. there. Um, talk a little bit yep. about compassion fatigue. That really intrigued me hmm. and, and the relationship between us not resting yeah. and sensing that compassion fatigue. Yeah, well, compassion fatigue, you know, any of your your listeners could go figure out that this, this is a kind of broadly spoken of topic. I mean, this is something that more and more is coming about, and that is that uh, – when, when you take human beings and you put them in front of Twitter and Facebook all day long, and we're seeing more and more tragedy around us, I mean, social media allows us to see everything wrong with the world. Uh, basically, what happens is we have the inability uh, to take in all the pain. And as a result, we shut down. There's Meaning humans only have a certain amount of threshold of pain that they can deal with in the world. And compassion fatigue is um, this, this phenomenon of of essentially um, only being able to take on uh, uh, so much. And I, I think that has led, frankly, I live in Portland. I love Portland. Portland is one of the greatest cities in the world. Um, I, one of the things I love about Portland is how committed to justice and equity um, our, our city is. But it's also profoundly exhausting because I, it's exhausting not knowing what stuff I'm supposed to be really ticked about this week. Um, what things I really need to be mad about because everybody else is really mad about it. I think in a world like our own, our kind of progressive justice-seeking world, um, we become, in, in essence, compulsive about our justice-making, right? We, we just, we're compulsively trying to do everything to make everything right, thinking that we ourselves can do it all. And I, I don't think we can actually do justice well unless we do it out of a place of rest. Um, if uh, There's a writer in, that, that I like who calls it restivism, that our activism is actually rooted in being arrested people. Um, William Wilberforce ended slave trade in Britain, and he put forth legislation 30 times before it was finally passed to end slave trade. And William Wilberforce, who was a follower of Jesus, said... Uh, at one point, he said that he had he ha had he not had 
uh, a, a weekly Sabbath, he would have given up practicing, uh, doing his work, his political activism. So my, my point is this. Paul knew what he said when he says, don't, don't grow weary of doing good. We will lose our capacity to do justice and good uh, if we do it compulsively. We need our justice to be birthed uh, out, of, out of rest. And compassion fatigue is robbing us of, of doing it in, in the way that I think, I think we could do it, which is based more on a patience, justice, love, endurance, all those sorts of things. Mm, that's good. Thanks for making that connect. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and go personal. Uh, what's the greatest gift inside of Sabbath for you personally? Sex. Um, there it is. Yeah. I don't know why, um, but sex is better on the Sabbath. And I, I don't, I don't have, I have only anecdotal evidence. I do know that historically the Jew, Jewish, Jewish peoples have uh, always seen the Sabbath as the day where you're almost required to have sex. <laughs> um, I have a friend, no excuses. Nancy Sleeth, who, yeah, I have a friend, Nancy Sleeth, who was a, who's a Christian, uh, but she was raised in a, a traditional uh, Orthodox Jewish home. And she said she remembers on Friday nights, her dad always came home with a bouquet of flowers and a really big smile on his face. Cause he knew it was the one, uh, the next day he's going to get lucky. There is something about the Sabbath for marriage. When you, when you don't, when you are not focused on everything else in your life and you have a few moments to focus on the person that you've promised to serve till you die, it just makes the intimacy so much better. So it's purely anecdotal. I think it's a gift, God's gift towards our intimacy. And I would say the second thing is my son. Uh, my son and I make pancakes every Sabbath um, in the morning, on the morning of the Sabbath. And he pours, you know, maple syrup on that, on those suckers. And the reason we do the pancakes is because there's an old Jewish tradition uh, that that on the morning of the Sabbath, the fathers were to get up uh, before all the kids and get every kid a spoon of honey so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. Um, we do pancakes so that my son never forgets how much his dad loves him. Uh, there is a, and you're well aware of this, there is a generation of PKs, of pastor's kids in this world that hate the church because they see the church as having stolen their parents from them. And I look at my schedule all too often, and uh, I, I say that I don't believe in child sacrifice, but my work, my schedule would say the opposite. The Sabbath is a gift to my son, because my son needs a day to be reminded that he matters to God, and that God is sending his dad home to play Legos one day a week. That's good. I would say those are the two biggest gifts. And a friend of mine... He says, Sabbath is when we see again, we hear again, we feel again. And many times I can kind of feel that coming back to life. And why would it not make its way mm. first into marriage and then to our relationship with our family as we kind of almost thaw out and detox a little bit from some of the, the stress and craziness of the week, right? Why would we not come back to yeah. that? So that's beautiful. And thanks for your honesty. And hey, my, my kids are in school on Fridays and that's our Sabbath day. So I might have to agree with you, uh, on the marriage piece of that. So, um, let's talk about pastors. Let's, let's chase that rabbit trail a little bit. Why do you believe so many of us pastors preach Sabbath, but struggle to actually practice it? 
Well, actually, a uh, study was done at Duke, uh, uh, Duke University. Uh, the Duke Health Initiative did a study on preachers, and, uh, and preachers don't actually preach on the Sabbath, largely because they don't do it. Um, so it turns out that preachers often will not preach on things that they themselves are not usually doing because we don't want to be hypocrites, which is why we probably don't hear people, pastors preaching on the Sabbath because they, they rarely are, are doing it. But I can, I had an experience in the last two years that revealed to me why I'm terrified the Sabbath. Um, I did for the first ever, I did a, a building campaign. We raised $1.4 million for this building that we were going to purchase. We never we did not move forward with it, so we had to, to, to backtrack a little bit. But um, I raised a, a bunch of we raised a bunch of money for this project, and there was somebody in our church who gave a lot of money to the project, and it shocked me. I was so surprised at how that person's gift changed my attitude towards that person. Um, whether I would never have told them this, but in my mind they all of a sudden sort of, it was implied that they all of a sudden could do and say just about anything because they'd given this gift. I don't think we ever say it, and I, I don't think it's ever overt, but I think it's implied that people who give faithfully in our communities, they serve, they give of their finances, they lay their lives down. I think it is implied that pastors in the American system have basically become gophers for for people because it's almost as though we are bought off. And I think Sabbath terrifies us because we don't want people to be hurt and we don't want people, rich people to leave and we don't want to disappoint people. I have a pastor friend who lives in a parsonage next to the church who says that if somebody ever knocks on his church, on his on his door on the Sabbath, he doesn't, he doesn't even know why, but he picks up a stack of books when he walks to the church, to the door so that when he opens the door, it looks like he's been studying. And he says he's terrified on the Sabbath of being found out, of people thinking he's lazy or not being productive. So I think that there's, there's a shame economy for pastors around Sabbath where we, we can be replaced. We don't want to be... Uh, disappointments. We don't want to let people who have given down. And it's terrifying. It is terrifying. We already think very lowly of ourselves. And then taking a day a week, well, geez, now I'm not economically important to the system anymore at all. But at the, fl- the flip side of that is I don't think the church can fully understand Christ being the head of the church until we as pastors learn to get out of the way. Because uh, we prop the thing up. It needs opportunities to exist without us. Um, it can't thrive in the way. That's why Paul was always leaving churches. He'd start them and leave. Um, uh, there's this brilliant missionary who said that that was Paul's brilliance. Is that had he stayed too long, people would have trusted in him more in the Holy Spirit than more in him than the Holy Spirit. Um, so the Sabbath is God's gift to the church to have a day a week where we're not there. And we need, they need that and we need it desperately, but it's terrifying. AJ, do you think it's getting better? I mean, yes, we're hearing more about it, but do you think this is getting better? Are we waking up to this need for Sabbath? Well, Lord willing, it's going to get better. I mean, 
the truth of the matter is I don't know how it's going to get worse. I'm seeing pastors burn out right and left, particularly youth pastors. I'm seeing a whole generation of youth pastors that are entering into this pastoral work and are just burning out and quitting. Um, and then frankly, going through this really dark season of deconstruction out of pain because the church never gave them rest. Um, uh, it has to get better. Sometimes in the Bible, th- this is this is the, the hard truth. You, you look at Israel's exile and their displacement from the temple and the displacement from home. Um, sometimes you have to go through exile before you really understand the heart of God. And I wonder if the church collective in America is being exiled a little bit so that we can return to the heart of God. And I think part of that exile process might be burning out. It does seem to me that the church is increasingly just exhausted. Um, And I do wonder if it's because we've forgotten (laughs) one of the Ten Commandments, for heaven's sake. Um, If we did this, if we forgot the whole murder commandment, we'd be up in arms and going crazy right now. But we really don't believe in the Ten Commandments. We believe in Nine Commandments and one really strong suggestion. Um, And I think we're exhausted because of it. So we have to get better. This is, uh, we're dying because of it. I have noticed in the last few years that when millennials come to church, they fall asleep more now than ever before. I just notice people when I'm preaching, like people in the back falling asleep. And I used to get really mad about it, but my attitude's completely changed. Um, I love it now when I see people falling asleep in the middle of my sermon, because there should, in in a world of exhaustion, there should be no better place for people to find soul rest than in the church. Uh, the church should be a place where people can come and fall asleep because they are in the, the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath who loves it when people rest. I love that invitation you say in the book, what if the church became the best place in the world to rest? Talk mm. a little bit more about that invitation. What are some ways, if we're a ministry leader, we can invite people to rest within the church community? Yeah, I think there's a couple different dimensions to that. I think the immediate one, obviously, is the personal side to things. Um, I think individually, we all have a a responsibility to recognize um, that that we our rest is our responsibility. It is not somebody else's job to give it to us. Um, It's 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 our responsibility to enter into it, and if we're going to do it, we need to be faithful to do it ourselves. Um, and, and, and be really intentional. I've never met anybody who accidentally kept a Sabbath. Like you have to be wildly intentional to do it. Um, I think a second thing is if we're people, if we're leaders, um, if we're leaders of organizations, if we're leaders of churches, we need to recognize that we have a disproportionate amount of authority, uh, to affect other people's lives. And when people in authority don't rest, it plays itself out in the organization. Um, if, if, you as a leader, if I as a leader am not resting, then other people are not going to feel like they have the freedom to do it. I'm, I'm actually coaching a, a young man in New York, upstate New York right now, who uh, he's something like 35 years old, grossly overweight. He's about, he's, I mean, he's, he's going to die by 40. He's got heart problems and he works for, you know, 80 hours a week. And he's trying to ask his senior pastor for a day off of rest every week. And his senior pastor's response is, well, when I was a youth pastor, I didn't need a day off. Um, we got to recognize that people in power have a disproportionate amount of responsibility to extend the gift of rest to other people. Honestly, my biggest theological problem with the Sabbath is what about the poor? Uh, what about the single mother of eight? 
Um, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the poor aren't resting because the rich aren't resting and the privileged aren't resting because they can't rest if we're not extending it to them. You know, it, 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 there's a, a direct, I think, a direct relationship between power and rest. Um, so we need to understand that if we're people in authority, that we have a disproportionate impact on other people. And I would say, thirdly, um, culture um, makes a really uh, big difference. Um, and, and creating a culture of rest in the church means instigating it in your calendar, like having a day a week where your church is just completely closed and nobody's even allowed to come in. It's just the doors are locked. Uh, there was a book written a couple of years ago called The Church That Never Sleeps by actually a guy I know, Matthew Barnett. It's a great guy, but I hate the title of the book. Because uh, that's what we become, the church that doesn't sleep. We don't know how to sleep. We don't know how to stop. And um, the church needs to be a place that models us for other people. So calendaring rest is critical. Um, it, making it a part of the culture. Celebrating people in our church that say no. Like celebrating those. That gets around. When people can say no, man alive, that changes a culture. So I think those are three things. Personal uh, understanding our, our, our sort of authority and then creating a culture of rest uh, is is critical as well. So beyond celebrating those no's for other people and calendaring those like you're talking about, what are some practical ways if somebody's listening and has no idea how to move from not practicing the Sabbath, not experiencing that gift to practicing it regularly, what are some steps they can take, AJ? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd start with... Um, this simple premise that uh, if it's not intentional, it will not be done. Um, and I guess one step forward would, would be identify four, uh, identify four weeks next month uh, or four days next month and plan it a month out. Four days that you're going you're gonna to do a, a Sabbath and tell people who are responsible to you, tell people that it will affect, that you're not going to be available on that day. You're, you're, you're going to try this out for one month. And I, I'd say do, do one month, four days in a, in a month and, and just see what it does. I mean, I, I've, I, I said, I've never mentioned, I've never met anybody who accidentally kept a Sabbath. I've also never met anybody that used to keep a Sabbath. My experience is that once you start doing it, there's no going back. Um, so I would calendar it out. I'd start with scheduling like four for a month and then, and then see what it was like. And even if that's too hard, start with half a day, you know, uh, Friday afternoon, uh, to Friday, uh, all evening Friday and tr uh, give a half a day and, and just see what, how life giving it is. I'd say secondly, um, just on a practical level, have one day a week, um, make your Sabbath day be a day where you turn your phone off. If at all possible, set up auto replies, um, Make make yourself unavailable, and it's very hard to do. I mean, there are times that uh, my fingers trembling when I turn my phone off, and it's I, I find it so fascinating that the people that made the iPhones have made it that when you turn your phone off, it flashes a an apple with a bite taken out of it, like we're back in the Garden of Eden or something, and we've been eating from the wrong tree all week long. Um, I mean, it's it's just it's insane how our lives have been changed by these devices, and having a day a week where we're not on them. I mean, it's my mental health just skyrockets um, when, when I'm, I'm not available. So calendaring it, um, I'd say the, the phone, the phone deal is a really big deal. And I'd say the third thing is, <laughs> this is, 
opens up a whole other can of worms, one that you're not going to be able to get me to, to talk a whole lot about because it's very painful. But ask the people who are closest to you. Um, ask your, 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 your spouse, your children, uh, your roommate, what it's like living with you. And, and give them space to speak into what it's like existing with you. And I think you'll begin to find that people generally are, I, I know this, this may sound harsh or mean, but uh, having a day where we're not needing to accomplish something is something that most of the people around me are craving. My son just loves having a day where he doesn't have to finish anything for me. He doesn't have to do homeschool. My wife just loves having a day where we can veg out, watch a movie, and eat good food. I think opening those doors of conversation, saying, what's it like living with me, will clarify for you very quickly as a leader and as a human uh, that probably the people around you are, are dying for this themselves. And when you begin to recognize that they really need it, then you become way more motivated to build it into your life. So those would be just three simple ideas. That's good. Really helpful. Really practical. A um, couple more questions here. We always want to kind of dig a little bit at, at your life as well. Um, besides Sabbath, what are some practices that you follow to, to stay healthy? It could be involving exercise or eating or mm. reading or not reading, you know, but how do you stay healthy, AJ? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to say that I was crazy healthy. Um, uh, and in many ways, I, I feel like I am, but in many ways, I, there's there's a lot of growth, uh, a lot of growth that comes needs to come. But I'd say I'd point out a couple things. I mean, I, I've become a, a very faithful walker. Um, it's not a really cool thing to say if you're a man. Apparently, it's important to do lift weights and all that stuff. But I just don't do any of that. But I do walk, and I'd say four or five times a week, I go for an hour long walk in the evening when my family's down to bed. And, um, I just talk with God and I listen to podcasts and I, I pray and I walk, um, hour and a half and it's good for my body, my soul, my mind, my spirit. Um, I'd say second thing is I've stopped listening to podcasts at 1.5 speed. Um, it's a real point of struggle for me is I want more content than I should be able to eat. I've become intellectually gluttonous. And I've taken in way too much content. My life has not reflected that. So I listen to less podcasts, but I listen more thoughtfully to the ones that I listen to. So if I'm listening to Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Podcast, which I think is one of the best podcasts out there um, on emotional health, uh, I can't listen to more than one a week because my goal is to listen to one and actually do what he's talking about. Um. But I say that's a another practice of podcasting that's great, but slow down and take less in. Yeah. Um, and developing good. a daily office is, has become a really important life point for me. And, and it's a, a solitude scripture and spiritual reading. Um, so something uh, kind of spiritual devotional reading that's, that's feeding me. Um, and I'll take 20 minutes with each. So 20 minutes of silence, 20 minutes of scripture, and 20 minutes of spiritual reading. Uh, for an hour in the mornings. And I found that to be just very life-giving and that cannot be connected to my preaching at all uh, or my writing. It needs to be, it's my own, as the proverb, proverbs say, dig your own well. It's, it's my own well and it's not allowed to be tainted by, um, by my work. So it's just the place where I meet Jesus. Um, so that's become very critical. Um, 
so those are three 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 biggies of friendship is a really big one as well it's been a big area of growth in my life um having intentional friendships times to laugh and not perform well thanks for your time that's somehow a mix between really really deep stuff and really really practical and we appreciate mm. both i think we need to plumb the depths on this but we're all kind of asking how and what are some practical things uh, some some people are like oh no they're turning it off 1.5 speed as as you say this but i absolutely agree <laughs> that there's so much we are taking in um that we just can't apply it at that at that level. And so, um, thanks for your time today. Uh, how can folks follow along with you? How can folks learn from you besides picking up subversive Sabbath? Yeah, man. Uh, well, first, thank you, Alan, for curating such good content for your listeners and, uh, just seeing the kinds of people that you have and the conversation you're having. This is really, really, really important stuff that I know people are, are picking up on in terms of keeping in touch with me, uh, Twitter, I'm at MRAJ Swoboda. And then uh, my website's uh, just ajswoboda.com. And uh, yeah, my books uh, are available wherever books are sold. And I always encourage people to go to your local bookstore if at all possible. Awesome. Said like a true Portlander. Um, (laughs) Grateful, grateful for your time. And uh, thanks for sharing us as well about your sabbatical. And we'll uh, continue to, to be in touch about your next season. So thanks for your time today, guys. Pick up a copy of Subversive Sabbath, incredible stuff, plumbing the depths of where we're going for Sabbath. AJ, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on. Grace and peace. Such a convicting episode, such a great conversation with AJ. And uh, I love how vulnerable he was to share sort of his own victories and struggles along the way. And like any new discipline in your life, if you're moving from a place of not practicing Sabbath at all and running really hard seven days a week, there's going to be a learning curve. You're not going to get it perfect. And by the way, the goal isn't to get this perfect. It's to enter into the rest of God and to reset each week. Uh, What an amazing gift we've been given by God. And so I just want to leave you this question. What's your next right step? What are you going to do with the knowledge that you have of this? I know that your soul is longing for rest and for a break and for a chance to dive deep into what God has for you in this next season. It has been a game changer for me and for David. We talk about it a lot in our coaching with Stay Forth Designs. I talk about it a lot personally because I honestly don't know how I would do multiple things and continue to function, continue to be a husband, a man of God, to love my kids well, be the father that they need. I don't know how I could do that without spaces of Sabbath in my life. We just want to remind you to pick up some coffee from our friends at Hearthstone Native. We love drinking it here during the podcast. They source and curate coffee from all over the world. They're fair to their farmers, and they are giving back in some very exciting ways. You'll hear from them more in some future episodes. I'm drinking a coffee from Mexico today from Hearthstone Native. You can order that coffee online, and it's a very simple way to do something you're already doing, but to do it with a greater purpose. As always, if you're tuning into this, we would encourage you to subscribe so you naturally get updates whenever we drop an episode. We're excited we have some upcoming episodes for you and some surprises coming up on the podcast. We can't wait to release more episodes. We have some incredible guests coming up on the podcast. We can't wait to release some surprises that we have for you guys. Keep joining us for the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing, for getting this out to your friends. We're seeing a constant and steady growth from the podcast. 
As always, we want to remind you, you don't have to lose your soul if you're going to lead for the long haul. So long.